Good morning. I am so glad that you've been able to join us this morning as we continue with our study through the book of Revelation. Last week we started with chapter 1 and we, and we looked at the, the vision that Jesus gave to John of himself as our glorified and risen Lord. Uh, today we're going to jump into chapters 2 and 3 and we're going to look at the seven letters that Jesus sends to seven actual churches uh, that existed during that time. And we're going to process through the praise and also the warnings that he gave to these churches. And as we go through this this morning, I want to encourage us with the same words that Jesus used to all of these churches. He says, uh, he with an ear to hear, uh, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. And so as we go through this today, I encourage us to really be listening to the Spirit of God as he encourages us and he challenges us in our relationship to him as churches, but also as individual followers of Jesus Christ. So let's jump into this and let's process through a verse that uh, uh, Paul actually said in his letter to Ephesians, to Ephesus in Ephesians. And he says, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. As we go through this this morning, I want to encourage us, and and using Paul's words, to understand that, that Jesus is jealous for his church, meaning he has a purpose for us and a plan for us. And that's why, as we begin in Revelation, we see the heart of Christ for his church. He gave himself up for us. He is sanctifying us. He is working in us so that we may be holy and without blemish. So when we see some of the hard things that Jesus is going to say to his church today, let us remember that he's doing that because he cares for us, he loves us, and he's devoted to us. And he, again, if we go back to last week, he is the one that is walking among among the lampstands, and the lampstands being the church. Jesus is in his church and he is working in his church. So as we talk through this today, uh, again, let us be encouraged and also, like I said, challenged with the words of Christ and know that he's doing it because he wants what's best for us and he has a purpose and a plan for his church. As we jump into this, I want to take a moment and and kind of look at the pattern that we see with each of these letters. They all kind of follow the same format, and we see that they're written to the angel of the church, and then it says what city they're in. And again, this being a messenger or the pastor or the leader uh, that, that John is writing to, recording what Jesus is saying. Jesus then shows himself uh, in his glory. He refers to himself in some way based on the vision that we see in chapter 1. Going on, Jesus, after he uh, introduces himself to the church based on his glorified self, he says, I know. Um, In each one of the churches, Jesus says, I know exactly what's going on in your church. I know exactly what's happening in your midst. I know you better than you know yourself. And he's speaking into his church that, again, he knows better than anyone else. And then five out of the uh, seven letters, Jesus then moves into saying, but I have this against you. Uh, He moves into, there's some areas where we need to focus on. And as we go through this today, I I want us to realize that Jesus is not just looking for things to condemn in the church. And sometimes I think we can feel that same way too, that that we can feel that Jesus is just focusing on the, the ways that we're not doing it right. 
And while that's very important to Christ, and while He will address those things in us, I want to encourage us that that's not the main focus all the time with Jesus. He also gives praise to his church. He sees the good that is happening in his followers. And at the same time, he will address the things that need to be addressed and the things that need to be changed. Again, he has that uh, uh, command to each one. The one who has ears to hear, let them hear. So he's calling on us to pay attention. And then each one of the uh, letters ends with a promise. Uh, even if the church is in a place, a bad place that Jesus doesn't want it, uh, he gives a promise saying, hey, pay attention to what I'm saying, and then I'm going to tell you what you need to do, and then here's the promise I have for you if you overcome. So that's the format of each one of the churches. So let's just jump into this. And there's a lot that we are not going to look at in chapters 2 and 3, and I encourage you Continue to dig deep into your own study of Revelation. There are great resources, even on Right Now Media, that you can watch and dig into. And, and there's just a wealth of information out there. So while we ain't, we're not going to hit on a lot of it, I encourage you, find the opportunities to dig deep. Send your questions into the church. Uh, we can answer them either directly through uh, email or have a conversation, or we will try to address them during the podcast or even hopefully in our sermons if we can highlight different things. But again, dig deep into this because we're just going to kind of skim uh, the messages to each one of the churches, but there is so much there that will be encouraging to you and a blessing as you dig deep into it. So uh, I, I want to just note, I want you to notice that there are some overarching themes that Jesus focuses on in praising the churches. And again, we're not going to look at every single individual praise, but I just want you to see here that, that Jesus praises a, a lot in the church. He, he talks about their hard work for him and their perseverance, and he talks about them not tolerating false teachers and, and enduring suffering and, and poverty and persecution and the fact that they're holding firm to his name and to his, the deity of him. They're, they're not shrinking back in the midst of a lot of false teaching and a lot of false uh, uh, religions that they're surrounded by. He, he praises them for love and faith. And in one church, he actually praises them that they're doing more now than they were before. He's praising them for their increase in, in these things. He praises the church for keeping his word and his commands. And again, this isn't true for every single one of the seven churches, but here's kind of a summary of the things that Jesus focuses on in praising his church for. And that's important because if Jesus is going to praise something, we better pay attention to that. If Jesus is going to say, hey, this is something that's awesome in your midst, then I want to pay attention to that because that's something that we, we want to strive for in our own church and in our own relationship with him. So again, this is kind of a summary of some of the things that Jesus praises the church for. But now let's jump into each church and kind of walk through them a little bit and the main themes for each of the churches. And we're not going to go in order. We're actually going to start with Smyrna. Uh, two out of seven churches, they receive no correction from Jesus. In, in fact, two out of the seven only receive praise from Jesus. So we're going to start with them. And each one of these churches, uh, we're going to have a, a title or a name that we could give to them based on the context of what Jesus is saying to them. And, and the church in Smyrna, uh, we, we, we call that the persecuted church. Meaning they were going through some intense suffering and hardship. And, and right off the bat, Jesus says to them, uh, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. 
Uh, Jesus is acknowledging the hardship that they're going through, but then he changes that and he says, but you are so, so rich. Don't focus on where you're at and the context of where you're at right now and the persecution and suffering that you're going through because you are so rich, because you have faith, you have me, you have eternal rewards, uh, you are being praised by the Son of God, you are so rich. And when we think about this, this uh, afflictions, the, the image that, that I want you to have with this based on the word is, you know, there was an ancient um, torture technique where they would lay a person down and they would place a board on their chest and then they would add weights to that board, uh, slowly suffocating the person under the weight because sooner or later they just couldn't handle uh, the, the weight that was placed on them. They couldn't bear that anymore. And, and Jesus, when he says this word affliction, he's, a, hey, he's saying, hey, I understand the weight that you are under. I understand this burden that you are carrying. And he goes on to explain that through their poverty and through slander that was happening where, where they were, people were saying things about them that weren't true and spreading horrible rumors. And he also goes on to say some of you are going to face prison and you're going to face death. Uh, but he wants to remind them, hey, I see that. I know that. I know what you're going through, but I am encouraging you to continue to be faithful and to persevere. Though you have to go through these things, I will not leave you in that situation. There will come a day where I will give you the crown of life and the second death will not touch you. So this is encouragement to us, especially around the world where other Christians are, are facing uh, persecution. And it's encouragement to us that when we find our place, uh, ourselves in places where we're suffering for our faith and suffering for our devotion to Christ, Jesus knows that. He sees that. He understands that. And he, he's encouraging us. Stay faithful. Stand firm. You are rich, even though you may not feel like it on this side of eternity. You are so rich. And he wants us to know that. We then jump over to uh, the church in Philadelphia. And this would be known as the faithful church. Uh, Jesus says to them, I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In that letter, he also talks about, I have placed an open door that no one can shut. He's like, I've placed an open door for you. And the encouragement for us is the call to be faithful, even when we feel like we have nothing left to give. Even when we feel we are at the end of our resources, the end of our rope, our strength is depleted, and all of us have moments in life where we probably feel that way. Some of us might even feel that way right now. I have nothing left to give, and Jesus says, don't focus on the little bit of strength that you have. Instead, focus on the abundance of strength that I have. He's saying, even though you feel like you can't keep, keep going, be faithful to me. Because I have placed in front of you an open door that no one can close. I'm in control of this. I will provide for you when you need it. Just stay faithful to me. So this is a great encouragement to us as we look at this church and we look at our own faith journey where Jesus is saying, trust me, don't focus on your limitations. Instead, we're called to be like Paul, where Paul says, I am not you know, going to focus on my strength. In fact, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because it's in my weaknesses that I discover the strength of God. 
When we come to the end of ourselves, that's a beautiful place to be because at the end of ourselves, and the only thing that we have to rely on is Jesus Christ, we're going to experience the full abundant strength and presence of Christ. We're no longer going to be looking to our own abilities, but we're going to focus completely on him and saying, Jesus, I need you in your entirety because I can't do this anymore. I can't move on and forward anymore. I'm at the end of my strength. I'm at the end of my ability. So again, the first two churches are a great encouragement to us that Jesus knows our hardship and he calls us to persevere and he calls us to push forward. Jesus knows our limitations and he calls us to be faithful and he calls us to trust in him and to know that he can get us through any and every situation and bring us to the end of this beautiful race that he has placed us on. These are the first two churches that, that are given no uh, correction. But now we're going to transition and we're going to talk about the, the, the rest of the churches, the five churches where Jesus gives correction. And again, in these churches, there are also uh, several of them where Jesus praises them. Take the time to read through these two chapters if you haven't and see the praise that Jesus gives to them. But we're going to focus on the correction. We're going to focus on where Jesus says this has to change. And it's a challenge to us to really look at our own relationship with him and, and ask, where are we at uh, with him? Because again, he's jealous for us and he loves us and he's correcting us because of that love and because of that care and that devotion to us. So we're going to jump in and, and, and look at Ephesus. Um, this would be known, uh, a good title for this would be the Loveless Church. Now, if we look at Ephesus at the beginning of chapter 2, they are given an amazing amount of praise. Uh, Jesus says some awesome things to them. He says, I know your work. I know your perseverance. You guys are awesome. He, I mean, he's really praising them for the work that they're doing and the, and the way that they're standing firm in the faith. And, and, they're and it even says, like, you, you're testing false prophets. You won't allow false teaching in the church. You're, you're standing against people that come and call themselves apostles, and they're not. He's really praising them. And when you first read these first verses, you can sit there and say, this is an amazing church. I want to be part of this church. Uh, Jesus is really lifting them up. But then all of a sudden, verse 4, he says, yet... I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. And when we hear Jesus say that, what he means by forsaken is he's saying you've left your first love. You've gone away from your first love. He's, he's telling them, you're still serving me and you're doing an amazing job at serving me and you're working hard. The, the problem is you no longer have me as your primary love. Your love for me is no longer your motivation. In fact, there's, there's two ways that I want to uh, just focus on for a moment that we can fall into still serving Jesus and being faithful to Jesus and, and being faithful to his church and serving the church. But there are two ways that we can fall into forsaking our first love that I want us to consider this morning. The first one is when over time we, we, we start serving Jesus more out of an obligation. It's a duty. We, we're, no, we're no longer excited about it. We're no longer passionate about it. We're no longer doing it because we just love Jesus. Instead, we've fallen into this trap where it's just a duty. It's an obligation. 
We say things to ourselves like, I have to do these things. No longer are we excited to say, I get to do these things. We, we read the Bible because we have to read the Bible instead of being excited about the message that Jesus has for us and the way the Spirit of God is going to speak to us. It's, I have to read the Bible. I have to pray. I have to go to church. I have to serve on this team. I have to be on, on, on this board or whatever it is. Hold this position. It's no longer, I get to. It's no longer an excitement. It's become dry. It's become mundane. Uh, We've lost the passion. And that's not where Jesus wants us to be because our motivation needs to be love. Our motivation needs to be so much love for him that we are excited to serve him and to serve his church and to be part of his mission. So that's one way we can fall into forsaking our first love. The second way is when we do things with a motivation of expectation, meaning I'm going to do this for you, Jesus, but I have expectations of what I expect you to do for me. I'm going to serve you here. or I'm going to give to you, but I expect you to give back to me. And and this, again, uh, is is a bad place to be because we're no longer motivated by just, I want to love on you, Jesus. Uh, If you think about this in, in a way of a marriage, It's the same thing when we do things in a marriage where I'm only doing them because I expect my spouse to do something back to me. It's no longer, I just want to love on you. It's no longer, I just want you to know how important you are to me. I just, I'm doing these things because I want to bring a smile to your face. I want you to know that you're so important to me. I want you to know that I'm not doing this because I have to. I'm doing this because I want to, because I want you to know how much I love you. So this is what Jesus is warning the church at Ephesus with. He's saying, you've walked away from just your passionate love for me. You're still doing awesome things, but I'm more interested in your love for me because I know when you love me, you're going to keep doing these things, but you're going to be doing them for the right reason. And so that's a challenge to us and asking, where is our love for Jesus? Is it possible our love for Jesus has grown cold? And we've fallen into a, a spirit of obligation and a spirit of expectation when it comes to serving him and living for him uh, versus just passionately loving him. We then move over to the church in Pergamum. And this would be known as the compromising church. Jesus says to them after giving them praise. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and by committing sexual immorality. The, the story that Jesus is saying here is he's going back to this prophet that was approached and, and they, they, there was this request to curse Israel. And every time the, the curse was attempted, every time they tr- this prophet tried to curse Israel, what ended up happening is there was a blessing instead. So because a curse couldn't be given, the idea was, well, since we can't curse the people, let's compromise the people. So let's entice them to marry from within the nations that surround them. Let's, let's entice them to marry the people that Jesus uh, or that God told them not to marry. And, and so what happened is, as the people started marrying, intermarrying with these nations that surrounded them, uh, that brought a compromise. So now they started to worship false gods. You know, they started to do the things that God commanded them not to do. And then they were now compromised. They were mixing their faith in God and their devotion to God with a devotion to other things of the world. 
And so what Jesus is saying to this church is you've compromised, meaning you're no longer separated from me. You've married yourself to the world. You're, you're no longer separate. You've mixed yourself so much to the world, you can't see where you, you know, like my holiness and the holiness of the church is and, and where the world is. You know, one of the ways we fall into this is where we, we live with this mentality of, of I'm a Christian, but yet I can still participate in these things of the world. I'm a Christian, but I'm still going to participate with the very things that God tells me not to be part of. And so what we end up doing is we spend more of our time not living the standard that Jesus calls us to in our new life. We actually find ourselves making excuses for uh, the things that we do, or we defend the, the things that we do, or we're actively living and allowing sin in our lives. Uh, and we're def again, we're defending it. We're, we're finding reasons that it's appropriate. And this is what this church is, is doing. They're, they're compromising their st the standard of holiness. They're, they're compromising the life that Jesus calls them to live. And, and Jesus says, you need to stop that. I, I, I died for you and I sanctified you to be holy and without blemish. And you're actively seeking out blemishes and, and, and you're, you're, you're getting filthy in the world. And this is a message to us that we are called not to be compromising churches. We're not to be compromising Christians. We are called to be holy and separate and to live in obedience and a standard that Jesus calls us to. And again, it goes back to the first church. Are we doing that out of an obligation? Are we doing that with a, with a bad attitude? Well, fine. If, if I can't participate in these things, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Or are we so excited about our love for Christ that we're willingly saying, Lord, because I love you and because you are so amazing, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to live faithfully to you. And, and so you can see how it can start with being a loveless person, like, like forsaking our first love, and then that can move into compromising. So again, we're called to live uh, a holy life, not because we have to, but because we get to. Because Jesus knows these are the things that harm us, and these are the things that harm our families, and these are the things that harm our relationship with Him. And He's calling us, don't be a compromising church. Don't be a compromising Christian. That then moves into uh, the church in Thyatira, and this would be then the corrupt church. So if you kind of see how this builds on itself, you see uh, forsaking a first love and then this compromise, and then that can move us into uh, corruption. And what Jesus says to them is, you tolerate this woman Jezebel, and, and by her teaching, she is misleading my servants. Jezebel was a, a woman in the Old Testament that she brought uh, false worship into Israel. She encouraged and taught false worship of false gods. And the people listened to her and they followed her. And, and they ended up, I mean, even going as far as sacrificing their children to false gods. I mean, that's intense of how corrupt they were. And, and, and so what they were doing was they were forsaking the truth. The truth of God and his word had been corrupted. And they were believing a lie versus following the truth. And they were actually allowing this to be taught. And, and that's what this church, you know, Jesus is saying to this church, you're tolerating false teaching. You're tolerating the world coming in with its lies and, and it's pulling you away from my truth. And that's why he's saying, by her teachings, she's misleading my servants. So what we see with this is there's a lot of churches in our world today that are proclaiming false 
teaching. They are taking the scripture and they're twisting it. And there's a temptation even for us as Christians to twist the word of God and to try to find ways to make it easier and comfortable. And, and we're looking for teaching that actually satisfies our, uh, our own itching ear. That's the way Paul says it to Timothy. He says, in the end times, people will seek out teaching that, that satisfies their itching ear. And we're seeing that. We're seeing things in Scripture that Jesus says, and, and God is clear, this is not what I want, and this is sin. And we're seeing the world saying, and our culture saying, no, it, it's all right. Uh, this is the way that we are. This is the way that we're meant to be. Everybody seek their own truth. And that's the corruption, right? There is no your truth, my truth. There's the truth. And again, the rest is just our opinion. And Jesus is the truth. And that's what he's saying to this church. He's saying, you're corrupted because you're trying to live by a truth different than my truth. And you can't do that to be a follower of mine. So uh, this morning, the challenge for us with the corrupt church with Thyatira is, are we allowing the, the false uh, teachings of the world to mix with what, how we interpret scripture and how we interpret the truth that Jesus gives to us. Because again, this is what he says, this is not, don't do this. This is not the way I created you to be. So again, we see the loveless church leading into the compromising church, which then leads into the corrupt church. We then enter into Sardis. Uh, Sardis then would be known as the dead church. There is nothing good that Jesus says towards Sardis. He actually says, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. When Jesus says that, I don't believe Jesus is talking about their spiritual life in the sense of salvation. Uh, remember, these are believers that he's talking to. Uh, he, he, I don't think he's saying, hey, you are spiritually dead in the sense of salvation. I believe they had a faith in Jesus. They believed Jesus was the Messiah, that he died, that he was resurrected. Uh, but what... I, Looking at the language, what I think Jesus was saying to them is he's saying you are dead, meaning, hey, you, you have a reputation of being alive. That means you're active. You're filled with activities. You, you have a lot of action. You have ministries. You have programs. This is a church that if it, it was around today, you would say, man, look how busy that church is. Look at all the good stuff that church is doing. The, their calendar is full. They are, they are on the go all the time. They are active and they are in the community and they are doing some amazing things in their church. But see, here's the thing. Jesus is saying, hey, you have a reputation of being alive. You're known, but you're really dead. Meaning everything that you're doing, you're doing it under your own strength and you're doing it under your own ability. You're trusting in yourself you're not trusting in me meaning you don't have the power of the holy spirit in your church and that's what makes the church so effective in the world it's not us it's the holy spirit it's the power of god the holy spirit in us and working through us and and, and it's the word of god the power of the word of god and so what jesus is saying is you guys you have no power you're busy great but you have no power there's no supernatural in you you know, you're not seeing the supernatural happening in your midst because you're relying on yourself. And he's saying, you got to wake up. You know, Jesus said uh, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, For you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. We should expect our church uh, and our churches to be full of supernatural power. There should be things happening in our midst that we can't explain by human reasoning. 
You know, if everything that we do as a church, every ministry and every program and every event and everything that we do, even when we gather on a Sunday morning, if we walk away from that and, and we can explain everything by human reasoning, we need to start asking ourselves, where's the power of God in our midst? Are we relying more on our own energy and our own resources and our own abilities and we're not relying on the power of God in our midst? You know, this makes me think of, there's a passage in Zechariah chapter 7, verse 6, and this is in the Old Testament, and, and God says, not by might nor by power. He's saying, not by your might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, am I going to do these things. This is where the church needs to be, is, is relying on the supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst to do amazing things. That's when we know we're alive. When the Spirit of God is doing things that we can't explain. And we can just sit there in awe of how awesome he is. That, that's the church that God is saying, don't be the dead church. Be the alive church with my presence and with the Spirit moving in your midst. And then that leads us to the last church in Laodicea. And, and this would then be known as the lukewarm church. Uh, Jesus, again, doesn't have anything good to say. Uh, but he comes and he says, you are neither cold nor hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What we need to understand here is when Jesus says you're not either one of these, and if you think about this, cold water has a purpose. Cold water is refreshing. It brings refreshment. When it, a hot day, there's nothing better than a, than a fresh, cold glass of water. In a hot day, there's nothing better than jumping into that cool water and, and having that swim because it brings refreshment. It, it brings a shock to your system. Uh, it, it brings um, just kind of this energy with it. In the same way, hot water has the purposes of healing and soothing. Uh, it helps relieve pain. It helps relieve uh, suffering. You know, when, when you've had a hard day, that hot bath or that hot shower uh, where you uh, can just find relaxation and there's a soothing effect of hot water on our bodies. And Jesus is saying, listen, as a church, you're neither of those things, right? You're, you're not bringing refreshment. You're not bringing that shock to the system because you're not cold. Excuse me, you're not cold. Uh, he goes on and he says, you're, you're not bringing uh, soothing. You're not bringing uh, that soothing effect uh, to the churches or to the world because you're not bringing healing. You're neither of these things. And because of that, you're nauseating to me. This word of uh, spit you out, what, a better way of hearing that would be Jesus saying, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. You're nauseating to me. There's no use to me. And the reason he's saying that is because lukewarm Christians are those that are indifferent or apathetic to what God is doing. We, we rely and we focus more on ourselves and our own comfort and our own pleasure. We're self-sufficient and we have an attitude of being self-satisfying. And this is where Jesus is saying, knock it off because you need to rely on me. It's not about you. It's about my glory right? In this church, he actually says to them, he says, you think you're, you're wealthy, but you're really poor. You, you think you can see, but you're really blind. And, and what he's saying is, is you've, you've lost uh, the focus here so much so that there's no use. You, you have no use to me. And, and so as a Christian, we have to really pay attention to not be lukewarm Christians where we, we think it's about us and we think it's about our comfort and we think it's about our pleasure. And we're thinking just because we're blessed, and just because we have an abundance, that that means we're good with God. Because obviously this church must have been a very blessed uh, church. They must have had uh, a great resources as individuals. And Jesus is saying, you really don't. 
You got to pay attention. This does not mean that you're in a good place when it comes to me. In fact, you're in the, a very dangerous place when it comes to me. And, and you need to stop being lukewarm. I want you to be cold or hot. I want you to bring refreshment to the world through my through your presence and through my word and through proclaiming the gospel. I want you to bring healing and I want you to be I want you to be soothing to those that are in pain. I want you to bring the comfort of my gospel to those that need it. This is what Jesus is calling this church to be. So as we look at this, uh, one of the things he says to uh, the church in Laodicea is he says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. He says, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. As we close this morning, here's my question for us. Is it possible that Jesus is knocking on the door of your life right now? Is, is the spirit of God moving in your heart? We're going to uh, take communion here in a moment. But before we do that, let's really stop and ask, is Jesus saying, I need you to hear what I'm saying to you this morning? Maybe he's coming with a word of encouragement and comfort. Maybe you're one of the first two churches and he's saying, hey, uh, you're focusing on the wrong stuff and I need, you to I need you to focus on me and I'm going to comfort you right now. I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. I'm here with you. I'm, I'm providing everything you, do, need, you need. Maybe he's comforting you this morning, but maybe he's also challenging you. Maybe he's warning you. He's correcting. He, he's saying, hey, pay attention to these churches. Your love for me maybe is in a place where it's grown cold. Maybe you have corrupted yourself. Maybe you've compromised. Maybe you're not relying on my power and you're actually in a place where you're not allowing my presence and my Holy Spirit to work in you. So you're spiritually just in this place of deadness where you're making it about you and you're not letting me unleash myself in your life. Maybe he's saying you're lukewarm. He's, he's saying, you've come to a place where you're not letting me use you. And, and you're in a place where I can't use you because you've made it about yourself so much so that there's no fire in you anymore. There's, there's no passion. You're just in that lukewarm place. In each of these situations, situations, Jesus is saying, I love you. I'm rebuking you and I'm correcting you because I love you. And you need to repent. You need to change your direction. Let's talk about it. Let's confess it. Tell me that, that you know where you're at and this is not where I want you to be. So this morning, as we prepare for communion, is Jesus speaking to you and saying, I need you to let me in. Maybe for the first time, you need to let me in. Maybe you've already let, you know, you're a faithful follower. You, you know in salvation, you know the gospel. But Jesus is saying, you've kind of shut me out. And you need to let me back in. You need to open the door so that I can come in and, and be back in the place that I need to be in your life. The primary, most important thing in your life. That place of authority. Is Jesus knocking this morning? Can you feel his spirit speaking to you? He ends this letter to Laodicea and Jesus says to him who overcomes, I, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down, sat down with my father on his throne. Before we take communion, the last encouragement I, I think we get from this is Jesus is telling us, I want you to be victorious. This morning, if, if you feel like you're in that loveless place, if you feel like you're in that compromising place or that corrupted place or that dead place or that lukewarm place, Jesus is saying, that's not where I want you and you can overcome those things. You don't have to be in that place anymore. You don't have to be in a place where you feel weak 
and you feel like you're not living the victorious life. He's saying you can overcome all of these things because I overcame this world. You, you don't put your trust in you or in anybody else. You put your trust in me because I'm the one that overcame. This morning, as we transition into communion, uh, be encouraged by that. We overcome by the blood of Jesus Christ. We overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is our responsibility to put our faith in Him and to yield to Him, to submit to Him, to say, Lord, I can't do this, but you can, and I'm trusting in you, and I'm going to be faithful and obedient to you. I'm going to be a person that overcomes. This morning, do you have things that you need to overcome? As I pray, as we move into communion, I'm going to ask you, as, as I just take a moment to pray, prepare yourself for this. Do your business with God that you need to do. Do you need to confess some stuff this morning? Do you need to confess, Lord, I am in that loveless place. I feel my love for you growing cold. Lord, I've, I've corrupted myself. I've, I've compromised. Lord, I need your power in my life. Or Lord, I'm just lukewarm. Be open and honest. Put them before the, the feet of Jesus. Confess and repent. Prepare yourself to partake of communion. And then when we partake of these elements, I want to encourage us to do three simple things. Uh, as we are in prayer and we partake together, let us remember what Jesus has done for us. Let us remember the cross and the resurrection and the new life that he gives. But let us also reflect on what he's doing right now. If Jesus is speaking to you, if the Spirit of God is moving in you right now, man, rejoice and reflect in that. Reflect that the God of the universe is meeting you right where you're at. How awesome is that, that he cares for you so much, he loves you so much, that right now he's speaking to you. He's knocking on your life saying, let me in more. Let me have more of you. Let me have all of you. Reflect on that. The last thing is I encourage us to rejoice. Let us rejoice not in just what Jesus has done for us, but let us rejoice in what he is going to be doing for us in the future. There is going to come a day where we are no longer going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper here, but we are going to partake in the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is something talked about in Revelation, and we will get to that in, in the coming weeks. But there is a moment where we are going to partake at the table with Jesus in His presence, and it's all finished. He's preparing that place for us. He's going to come as the bridegroom and receive His bride. Let us rejoice in that and celebrate while we partake of communion. So again, remember what he's done, reflect on what he's doing, and rejoice in what he's going to be doing as we partake together. Let's pray. Father, as, as we spend this moment, uh, help us to have ears to hear. Open our ears and our hearts to you, Lord. Let us hear not only the praise that you have for us. Lord, I believe that uh, there are so many things that you do want to encourage us with. Uh, just like the churches, you, you, you want to point out and say, I, I commend you on this. I give you praise. But let us also be open to hear correction. Because you love us that much. That you are not going to leave us in places where you don't want us. But you are going to speak and move and, and move us into a deeper relationship with you. Let that be the desire of our heart this morning. That we will move into that deeper relationship with you. That we will hear your voice that you will do a mighty work in our lives this morning. Lord, let, let us know where we're at right now, wherever we're at, in our living rooms, in our homes. Uh, 
that your presence be so powerful in our midst that we will know we can overcome everything if we're stuck in some of these places that you call us not to be. Compromising, corrupted, love growing cold, Lord, lukewarm or even just dead when it comes to the power of God in our lives. Let us know right now that we can take hold of your grace and we can experience victory. We give you praise in all of it and meet us as we partake of your table. We give you praise in your name. Amen. The Bible says that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this, this is my body broken for you. I know the broken state that you are in and I am going to be broken for you so that you might be healed. And think about that healing physically, emotionally, you know, mentally, spiritually, I'm going to heal you. So if you want to take your element and, and let's partake together of the body of Christ. And after that, it says Jesus took the cup and he says, this is the blood, my blood of the new covenant. Not only am I going to heal you, I'm going to pour my blood out upon you and I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you without blemish. I'm going to make you righteous so that you know that you stand before the father 100% righteous, not because of yourself, but because of my righteousness. And you can come with confidence and you can enter into my presence and you can know that there's coming a day when I'm going to come and I'm going to bring my glory and I'm going to bring my kingdom. And because of my blood and the faith that you have in me and the fact that you have overcome the world, you're going to be in my presence for all eternity. He said, here's my blood. Partake of it. Drink of the cup. So let's partake together in the blood of Christ. As we close, I just want to encourage you to continue studying in Revelation and digging into this. But I want to just give this blessing upon us that we faithfully entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, trusting Him with everything that we have, knowing that He is faithful to you, that He loves you, that He cares for you. He is devoted to you. He has a purpose for you as part of His kingdom and part of His church. Know that He is smiling down upon you as you live out your life of faith and that He is going to work in you every single moment as we trust in Him and know that He is sanctifying us, sanctifying you to be holy without blemish. I pray that you know this blessing upon your life today and that you trust in it and that you rest in the love that Jesus has for you. I pray that it's a blessed day for you and that you know the love that Jesus has for you. Go in peace.